Welcome to Talos Takes, the security podcast for everyone from the C-suite to the front lines. All right. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Talos Takes. Uh, my name is Nick Biasini. I'm your host. Uh, and today I am joined by Kendall McKay uh, to talk a little bit about the year in review report. Welcome, Kendall. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, so we just released the year in review report earlier this week. Can you talk a little bit about why we did it and where the data came from? Yes, definitely. Um, so we are so excited about this report. Um, this is the first time we have produced a report like this where we have gone back and looked at the entire year's worth of findings and data to um, identify the key trends in the threat landscape, as well as uh, major threats that were affecting Cisco customers. And I think one of the really cool things about this report is the amount of data that it pulls from. And so um, we leverage so many different data sources in this report, including uh, endpoint and snort telemetry, incident response engagements, data from our sandboxes and honeypots, and so much more, even pulling from the expertise of over 30 Talos subject matter experts. So it's an incredible report, extremely rich in data, uh, and hopefully has something valuable in there for many different audiences. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to everybody reading it. Um, I know in addition to us releasing the full report, we're doing a little smaller content focused on some of the bigger trends that we've observed or the bigger findings we've had in our analysis of the data from the year. Uh, one of those sections is dedicated to Ukraine and it actually went live the same time that the report did. Uh, so we can talk a little bit more specifically about that. One of the things that we've seen is in our analysis, and everybody knows that we've been active in Ukraine for a long time and have been working in the war zone for the entire time it's been going on, we have noticed a few different waves of activity uh, over the course of that time. Can you talk a little bit about where it started and kind of how we've seen it evolve over the time? Definitely. So I think the main theme of, of the Ukraine section of the report and our, our, our experience so far in Ukraine has been just a significant influx of actors into that threat space and um, those actors having varying uh, levels of skill and sophistication. And that was true early on and, and continues to persist today. And so early on in the conflict, we saw a variety of destructive wipers being deployed against Ukrainian targets. And so listeners may be familiar with some of those big name threats like Whispergate, Hermetic Wiper, Cyclops Blink, and others. Cyber criminals were also very quick to get involved in the conflict. As everyone knows, cyber criminals are highly opportunistic. They're always looking to capitalize on global events or other crises that might be garnering national or international interest. And so this was no different. So very quickly, we saw cyber criminals starting to leverage the war um, in their operations by developing email lures related to the conflict. So for example, we saw topics relating to humanitarian assistance for Ukraine and things like that. Most of this was scam activity, uh, but we did see them dropping a variety of other threats like remote access Trojans. Sort of another bucket of threats we saw uh, were hacktivist groups such as uh, Kiltnet is probably the big one that um, listeners uh, may have heard about by now, but they've been launching DDoS attacks against websites belonging to pro-Ukraine countries. And then finally, the more sophisticated actors, of course, um, are active as well, those being the state-sponsored groups and APTs. And so Gamaradon, the Russian state-sponsored group, is one that's been particularly active 
And we've also seen some other state-sponsored activities. So certainly these activities, you know, span across the range of sophistication and motivation as well. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I found interesting, too, is because it's Russia invading Ukraine, we expected to see Russian nation state APT groups active in the region, but they're not the only groups that we saw active. Could you talk a little bit about some of the other activity we saw from nation states in the region? That's right. Um, One of the interesting things we found earlier in the war actually was um, a China-based threat actor, Mustang Panda, that was leveraging the war, much like cyber criminals, to carry out out its operations. And so in this case, we saw Mustang Panda uh, developing their own lures related to the conflict, and those were relating to more official looking documents. So those those were masquerading as uh, European Union reports, NATO related documents, and they were using those to try to get European users to click and open the email and thereby kick off the infection chain. So it was certainly interesting to see, uh, you know, a sophisticated actor from China hopping in there quickly, but certainly it underlines the ways that threat actors use these types of conflicts to their advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the other interesting findings that we've had in Ukraine has been around GoMet. Um, and I remember when it popped up and when we started seeing it, it's kind of a relatively unknown backdoor that we found being deployed in Ukraine. Can you talk a little bit about what we saw and what it implies? Sure. I think one of the interesting things to note right off the bat was we found this threat in conjunction with working with our Ukrainian partners. And so it was a really nice success story of how we work with the Ukrainians on a regular basis and how together we've identified and um, taken action against these types of threats. In this case, we believed it was probably a Russian state-sponsored group or at least a group aligned with Russian interests. And they were uh, deploying a slightly modified version of the open source backdoor called GoMet. So this backdoor is designed to establish additional persistent access. And then that access can be leveraged to carry out follow-on malicious activity. But the big takeaway here was the targets. So the threat actors were attempting to compromise a software firm whose software is widely used by organizations in Ukraine. So it certainly appeared to be a supply chain attack attempt. And that's, of course, reminiscent of the 2017 NotPetya attacks that compromised similarly a widely used Ukrainian uh, software and ultimately ended up causing billions of dollars in damages worldwide. So certainly an example of the sophisticated type of attack. And while this one didn't or hasn't yet uh, reached that level, um, certainly a reminder that those threats are out there. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing that I found interesting is the fact that you can kind of daisy chain those connections together. So it it allows potentially even access into closed networks and things like that, which can really impact a lot of damage. Exactly. Uh, One of the other things that we saw was, um, and you've mentioned this already, is this, this kind of open recruiting of random people to join the fight. And this this definitely is not focused on one side or the other. We saw this occurring on both sides of the conflict. Can you talk a little bit more about what we saw in that space? Yes, as I mentioned, we saw, you know, an influx of actors into this threat space immediately. And those actors sort of spanned the range of all different skill levels. And um, one example of this was our observation in an increase in crowdsourced attacks. And so that sort of refers to average users who may not have typically 
engaged in offensive cyber activity before began looking for ways to get involved in the conflict by carrying out cyber attacks. So while this group of sort of novice, almost vigilante actors was emerging, at the same time, we also saw traditional cyber criminals attempting to exploit that group. So in one case, we saw cyber criminals selling a tool purporting to facilitate DDoS attacks against Russian targets. But when the user downloaded it, it was actually malware. So quite the interesting observation to see both this rise in sort of novice wannabe cyber criminals, but then also those opportunistic actors, uh, you know, trying to exploit that group as quickly as possible too. Yeah, no honor amongst thieves. (laughs) Uh, So obviously this is only like a very, very small fraction of a fraction of all of the data that's out there in this report. Um, I definitely encourage folks to go out and download it, take your time kind of parsing and reading through it. It is a lot of data and a lot of really, really important information. Um, Where's the best place for them to pull the report from? Sure. So um, as Nick mentioned, the report went live on December 14th. We also did a Ukraine live stream that same event. So you can view both of those on the Talos blog and as well as our social media platforms. Going forward, we'll continue to be releasing various uh, live streams, one pagers and other collateral to highlight different parts of the report over the coming months. Okay. And all of this information will be available on a landing page on our website. So please go ahead and, and go there and pull it down. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Candle. Was there anything else you wanted to add before we close it out today? I think we covered everything, Nick. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening. And join us next time for when we talk about something else on Talos Takes. <laughs>